Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. We're going to continue our Eastertide sermon series as pastors. We often get frustrated when it comes to Easter because you only get one Sunday to preach about the resurrection. And, and there's so much more that we can't fit in. And so some churches, in, in some church traditions, they do something called Eastertide, which stretches out Easter, the celebration of resurrection. So we're going to continue that series today, talking about the resurrection. And today we're going to turn to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to hang out in a chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to look at the hope of resurrection and two myths that get in the way of it. And we're really going to hone in on these two myths because, unfortunately, um, these two myths have kind of crept into our hearts and minds and into our our churches, and and they really do get in the way of celebrating Jesus' resurrection and the hope we have in his resurrection. And and it's hard to celebrate Jesus' resurrection if we don't fully understand why it's important and what it means for us. I I feel like sometimes uh, we come to church on on Easter, on on Easter Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, and we're like, yeah, Jesus is risen, whoa! But but we're almost kind of like, good for him, that's awesome! (laughs) What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for all of his creation? And unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion around what the resurrection accomplished and what it means for us, for our present hope and also our future hope. And so today, I'm going to do a little more teaching than preaching, which is, which is a little bit outside my wheelhouse and comfort zone. Um, I, I, I like to preach more than I like to teach. And you know the difference between preaching and teaching? Preaching is just kind of, um, it's inspirational, it's motivational, there's a lot of story tied to the text. Now there's teaching in preaching for sure, but its aim is to inspire and motivate. Teaching, on the other hand, is about transferring knowledge. Of course, there's, there's inspiration and motivation that happens in preaching, and there's story that happens in preaching, uh, but the aims are different. And so I'm going to do a little more teaching today than preaching because I believe that this is an important topic to teach on. Because if we don't understand the implications of Jesus' resurrection, if we don't understand uh, what it means for us, we won't be able to enter into the fullness of the hope that it brings. And so I want to start today by looking at two myths that often get in the way of our resurrection hope, of understanding the Christian hope of resurrection. And these two myths are explained really well by N.T. Wright in his book, Surprised by Hope. So if you want to dig into these on your own at another time, I'd recommend that book. Um, He uses different terminology than I'm going to use today, but it's kind of the same concept. And before we get into these two myths, we're going to read part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 together. Um, For those who've never read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 before, it's all about the resurrection of Jesus. And it's all about the implications that Jesus' resurrection has for you and I. And it's written by the Apostle Paul. It's going to be our anchor text for today. We're going to refer to it several times through through, uh, the message. And 1 Corinthians 15 is 58 verses long. It's a really long chapter. It's like a, 
a giant box of resurrection chocolates. There's just a lot there. And so we can't read all 58 verses this morning, but we're going we're to give a sampler. We're going to read a few sections of this chapter together, and I'm going to kind of come back to that while, while we're investigating these two myths and how they get in the way of our resurrection hope. So I'm going to invite David and Liesl Bailey up. They're going to read some passages from this chapter. Again, they're giving us four samples. They're picking out four chocolates from this, from this box, and they're going to read for us. So the first chocolate um, is First <laughs> Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. All right, and then this is 12 through 14. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ, Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. Then 19 through 23. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has become, begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. All right, and 54 through 58 says, Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Okay, so there's four samples of this chapter. I, I highly encourage you and, and recommend read it on your own sometime this week. But I want to jump into these two myths that get in the way of us understanding the hope we have in Jesus' resurrection. And the first myth is called the myth of the spiritual escape. The myth of the spiritual escape. And here's what this myth is about. This myth suggests that our ultimate hope is to one day leave behind the physical world and enter into a purely spiritual existence. This, this myth suggests that when we die, our souls are, are snatched away into a disembodied heaven where we'll remain in, as disembodied souls forever. Some people imagine heaven this way, right? That, that, that we're, we're, we're just kind of floating the clouds. If we're lucky, we get a harp. And we learn how to play it. And all of eternity is that. And man, does that ever sound boring. And we're just floating around ethereal spirits, disembodied in this disembodied thing, right? And that's, where, that's, that's kind of like the, the imagination for this myth, the myth of the spiritual escape. It suggests this, that that God isn't going to redeem and renew his physical creation. 
He's going to free us from it because it's evil. It's, it's just a shell. He's going to scrap it all together. It's just a vehicle to get us to the spiritual place. And so his physical creation really isn't going to last. It doesn't matter. He's not going to redeem it. He's not going to renew it. He's not going to transform it. He's, he's, he's going to scrap it. And so this has some tones of, of what's called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism uh, was a belief that was really uh, rampant in the early church but still exists today. And it's the belief that the physical or material world is evil. And our ultimate end is to escape it and, and to enter into a spiritual realm or a spiritual existence, which I have to say is in sharp, sharp contrast to what the Bible teaches. Right? The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah and the book of Revelation, really all throughout Scripture, that God one day is going to merge heaven and earth together. Isaiah and Revelation refer to it as the new heavens and the new earth. Right? He's not going to discard the physical world. He's going to redeem it. He's going to renew it, which is, which is why Jesus, when he came to earth, what did he do? He proclaimed the kingdom of God coming to earth. In fact, this, this, his disciples asked him one day, teach us how to pray. And he said, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. It's why when Jesus appeared to the disciples after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples in a resurrected physical body. And we read about him eating food. We read about the disciples being able to see him and touch him. And the disciples were astonished. Why? Because they realized for the first time that one day God was going to do for them and all of creation what he did for Jesus on Easter. That he was going to renew transform, redeem the physical and material creation. And that, that sin and death had finally been conquered once and for all. And, and the, the resurrection of Jesus was proof, it was evidence that God was transforming and renewing all of creation through Jesus, through the cross and through the resurrection. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says this, For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he promised us. See, the scriptures make it clear that, that God isn't going to ditch his physical creation, the, the, the physical world he created, nor is he going to snatch our souls out and whisk us out to some disembodied heaven where we float around in a disembodied state. No, he's going to redeem, renew, and restore creation to its original intent. And here's where this myth, the myth of the spiritual escape, gets in the way of our Christian hope of resurrection. Because if we believe that the physical material world at best is meaningless, if we believe that the physical material world is something God's going to ultimately discard and dispose of and get rid of, then why even bother caring about it? In fact, why care about anything material or physical? 
just let it go to hell in the handbasket because it's, it's not God. God's just going to discard it. We can just get on with that right now and get rid of it. See, with, with a spiritual escape worldview, creation care doesn't matter. How we treat our bodies doesn't matter because they're just a shell, right? We're, we just have to shed them and, and, and get to what, the business that God's really about. Taking care of other people's material needs becomes pointless. Uh, we can simply withdraw ourselves from the world and totally disregard its needs. Friends, that's not what the resurrection of Jesus is about. The Christian hope of resurrection doesn't call us to disengage from the world and look to escape it. The Christian hope of resurrection invites us to actively engage it, right? Seeking its renewal and its restoration. So let's go to the, to the second myth. The first myth, again, is the myth of the spiritual escape. The second myth that gets in the way of the resurrection hope that we have in Jesus' resurrection is this. The myth of linear progress. The myth of linear progress. And, and this myth suggests that our ultimate hope is not that we'll be snatched out and, and, and escape, but our ultimate hope is to build a utopia through our own efforts. That, that we have the potential in us and on our own to advance down the, this road of linear progress all the way to a perfect world. That, that through self-improvement and education and freedoms and, and hard work and advancements and prosperity, that we can eventually fix all the brokenness in, in, in our world and in ourselves over time. And, and I have to say that while there certainly are advancements and improvements in our history, linear progress has failed to follow through on its promises of a perfect world. In fact, I don't know about you, sometimes I look around the world and I feel like it's more broken than ever. Right, what we just saw in Texas yesterday with another mall shooting, what we see with racism in, in, our, in our country. Like, I feel like the world's more broken, that, that this, this myth of linear progress just has not followed through on what it, what it promises. And, and when I inspect my own life, I don't even have to look at the world. I can just look at my own life and say, why can't I fix me on my own? Why can't I know the things that need to change in my life? Why can't I do it? And the scriptures tell us why that is. See, the real problem the scripture tells us with the myth of linear progress is it underestimates the power of sin. It underestimates the power of sin. That self-improvement, hard work, education, prosperity can't eradicate sin and death. Only Jesus could do that through the cross and through the resurrection. Which, which is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read this verse just a few minutes ago. The Apostle Paul says this, I pass on to you what was most important. Most important. I passed it on to you. And what has also been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. See, what the Apostle Paul is getting at here is, is our ultimate hope is not that we escape the, the messed up world and get snatched out. Our, our, our ultimate hope is not in human progress, but it's in the coming of God's kingdom through, through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. That's what our ultimate hope is in. Pastor Rich Velotis says it this way, sin is not just something we do, but a power we are under. Education, good policies, spiritual disciplines are critically important. 
but cannot deliver us from sin's grip. The antidote for sin is found in a power outside of ourselves, the cross of Christ. Right? And this is where the myth of linear progress gets in the way of our resurrection hope. It, because it keeps us striving for something that isn't possible apart from the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I, I have to qualify that statement because that isn't to say that we just sit back on our hands and say, wow, we can't fix it, sin's too powerful. We can't fix ourselves or, or fix the, the, the ills of the world. We, we just leave that work up to Jesus. We'll just sit on our hands and we'll go to church once a week and we'll sing some songs and say some prayers and read some scriptures and have some coffee. No, that, that's, that's not what I'm suggesting. In fact, God commands us to work for justice, for peace, for hope. We're, we're called to be agents of, of renewal and transformation, to live by the power of the Spirit, to be new creation people here and now, right? To demonstrate real effective signs of God's coming kingdom. And so there's things for us to do. 1 Corinthians 15, we read this verse again just a few minutes ago. Ver, verse 58 of chapter 15 the last verse of this chapter, it says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So here we have the Apostle Paul after writing 57 verses. That's a lot of verses. 57 verses on the resurrection of Jesus in in. And the implications it has for us, he says this, the work we do is not in vain. And that, that means that what we do matters. Listen, listen to how N.T. Wright puts it. He says this, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, Loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. Of course, this isn't an exhaustive list, right? What he's really getting across the point is, is anything we do for God and for others matters. He goes on to say, these activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day we leave it all behind together. They are part of what we may call Building for God's kingdom. Now, what does N.T. Wright mean by that phrase, building for God's kingdom? Here's what he's getting at. The myth of linear progress isn't attainable. Because we can't eradicate sin and death. Only Jesus could do that. We can't usher in God's kingdom. Only Jesus could do that. We'll never be able to, to linearly progress our way to utopia through our own efforts. We can't build God's kingdom, but we can build for it. Right? Our good works last into God's new world. They aren't useless. He uses the illustration of a stone cutter. Where, you know, let's imagine that a, a giant, great, massive, beautiful cathedral is being built, and there's a stone cutter who's hired. And even though that stone cutter is not building the cathedral, they're, they're chiseling and building stones. So they're building for the cathedral. And N.T. Wright is saying, essentially, and is agreeing with the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that we might not be able to build God's kingdom, that's his work, but we get to build for it, right? Someone 
once asked a theologian, Leslie Newbigin, if he was optimistic or pessimistic about the future. Have you ever been asked that question before? Or maybe you thought to yourself, am I optimist? Am I a pessimist? Or maybe somebody's told you you are one of those two things. And he was asked if he was optimistic or pessimistic about the future, and his reply was this, I'm neither optimistic nor pessimistic. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And it's kind of a weird response, right? Hey, are you an optimist or a pessimist? I'm not an optimist or a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. But, but what, he, what he meant when he, when he responded that way is that he couldn't be an optimist and believe that we could fix our broken, sin-torn world through our own efforts, that he could even fix himself through his own efforts. He couldn't be optimistic about that. But he, he couldn't be a pessimist either, believing that the world was getting worse and worse and God would have to scrap it and just snatch him out through an escape hatch. It's just going to be so bad. He, he said, I can't be either of those things. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Instead, he refused to, to place his hope in the myth of the spiritual escape, in the myth of linear progress, because he, he, was, he was making a point, he recognized that those two things actually get in the way of our resurrection hope that we have in Jesus, that, that our hope isn't dependent on, on, on human progress or on an escape from the world. Our hope depends on Christ and the power of his resurrection, which is why in, when we read in Romans 8, it tells us that the whole earth is waiting on its tiptoes, not for us to fix it, not for us to be snatched out of it, right? But it's waiting for the resurrection and life and the power of Jesus to sweep through it, filling the whole earth with the glory of the Lord as the, as the waters cover the sea. That's the Christian hope of resurrection. Now, I, I know I'm, I'm teaching today more and preaching, but I wouldn't feel right without offering some form of application. So I'll end with this. The, the hope of resurrection is central to our Christian faith. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, we read it today. One of the verses says, if, if there's no resurrection, then your faith is worthless. It's pointless. So I want to submit this question to you today. What if one of these two myths are getting in the way of your resurrection hope? And let me re reframe that question a little bit. Maybe you're here today and, and you're discouraged because you've been hoping that you could improve yourself and that you could fix the ills and the problems of the world and, and it hasn't materialized, and your hope is growing thin. You turn on the news, and you're like, man, I've been ho I'm hoping this would, would get fixed, and it's getting worse. You're, you're, you, you look at your own life, and you're like, man, I've been, I've, I, I thought that I could fix this, but, but it's, 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 it's still there. Or maybe you're, you've been hoping that God would provide you with a way out of your present circumstances, that, that he'd provide some kind of escape hatch for you to get out of whatever present circumstance and, and, and it hasn't materialized and your hope is waning. Here's my question. What would it look like for you today to transfer your hope? That instead of putting your hope in an escape, instead of putting your hope in your own ability to fix things, what if you transferred that hope in the resurrection, in the unshakable kingdom of God? the only thing that's really unshakable, the unshakable kingdom of God. What would it look like for you to transfer your hope 
in your own ability to fix things and escape and just getting, getting, getting away into the hope of resurrection, what Jesus promises through the resurrection. See, then if we were able to do that, then I believe when we gather on Easter, there's a real celebration. It's not just like, oh, good for you, Jesus. That's awesome. Yeah, you're risen. Woo! But no, we, we, we would say, oh, my gosh, just like the disciples. That's proof and evidence that one day God is going to do for me and for all creation what he did for Jesus that day. Then resurrection takes on a whole new meaning, right? When we shed these two myths of, of escaping the world that's getting worse and worse and, and, and becoming these spiritual entities, right? Or this other myth of we can just reach utopia eventually if we just keep working in ourselves. And instead saying, no, Jesus, through the cross and the resurrection, has done this work. And God has promised it for us to enter into it. And so can I pray for us this morning that, that God would um, really solidify the hope of resurrection in our hearts and minds? Let's pray together. And I invite the worship band to come up too, and we'll sing at the end of this prayer. Heavenly Father, we just confess that these two myths um, do creep into our hearts and minds. And we look around and we see the world. We see our own lives inside. inside. We just look inside and see our own lives and how messed up and broken we are. And we see the outside world and how it's sin-torn and just broken. And, and Lord, sometimes that's overwhelming. And sometimes we let the myth creep in that it's all up to us to fix that, that we have to do this on our own and we have the capacity to do it on our own. But, but Lord, that myth just leaves us feeling, feeling even more hopeless. So Lord, would you help us, if we're in that place, would you help us to transfer our hope into the resurrection of Jesus? Into the, the truth that, that Jesus is once and for all conquered sin and death and that God is going to renew and restore not only us, but all of his creation. And Lord, for, for my friends here who are, maybe there's a different myth that they're, they're creeping into their heads and hearts, the myth of escape, that, that they, they just got to have you come back, Jesus, and whisk us out of here. <laughs> That's floating on a cloud sounds pretty good. Playing the harp sounds pretty good for some of us right now because our present circumstances are just so difficult. But Lord, that, that myth doesn't get us all the way there. Would you transfer that hope into the hope of the resurrection when, where, where God is going to renew and merge heaven and earth together, renew and restore his creation to what it's originally intended to be? And Lord, I, pr I pray for all my friends here this morning who are just facing discouragement in their lives. Maybe it's from present circumstances. Maybe it's they're putting their hope in something that hasn't materialized. Maybe they put their hope in something that just failed and let them down. Lord, would you help us transfer our hope into the unshakable kingdom of God, the thing that never, ever changes, disappoints, fails, lets us down? Lord, we pray not only for our future hope, but for our present hope. There's some here today who are just barely hanging on by a thread, and they just need present hope. Future hope can wait. They're not even focused on future hope. They're just trying to get through today. Lord, would you strengthen them by the power of your Holy Spirit? That the same power that raised Christ from the dead would, would, would abide in them. Lord, we thank you for what Jesus did, for what Jesus alone could do. 
by forgiving our sins and, and conquering sin and death once and for all. Fill us with present and future hope that we have in, in resurrection. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.